And that, of course, was Bono and U2. What a great song that is. One. That's off of one of uh, their best of albums from 1990 to 2000. Came out in 2002. That's U2. Thanks, Bono, for that great song. This is Community Justice Talks, and I'm your host, Molly Rowan Leach. And you're listening to K-H-E-N-L-P Salida 106.9 FM on your dial. We are your community radio station, and we're a wider community as well. If you can grab a computer, you can stream us online from anywhere in the world at K-H-E-N dot O-R-G. It's great to be here with you today, and I'm really looking forward to the conversation that we're about to have with Professor Ted Grimsrud from Eastern Mennonite University. He's on the line live with us, coming from University Back East in Harrisonburg. That's Eastern Mennonite University again. And I just want to say a few things about Ted before we go into our conversation today and give you a little backstory on why we're talking to him today, um, One, at least one of the reasons why. Uh, here on Community Justice Talks, we like to talk with people from local and statewide as well as nationwide movements towards solutions in conflict and crime. And there's so many things that are happening in our world today. Um, and of course, conflict and crime happen both on the individual, communal, and national levels. So this, uh, this show aims to provide, perhaps you might call it hope, um, solutions and to have an open, honest dialogue that is unfiltered about justice. And again, both at the very personal as well as communal and national levels. So um, focusing today, again, on the on unpacking violence as a theological problem. So Ted and I are going to start out with, with that, that as the baseline for our conversation and he had a blog that was posted just last week on Open Democracy, which is an excellent blog and news site. You can get uh, more information and read blogs and, and news there um, at opendemocracy.net. And his post on the 16th of February was called Violence as a Theological Problem and has a lot of inspiring details in there that unpack why we in the United States seem to justify violence. Um, He says in that article, deeply ingrained in the religious consciousness of the United States is the belief that retribution is God's will. And he goes on, according to the logic of retribution, holiness governs God's behavior. As a holy God, God cannot stand to be in the presence of impurity, of human sin, Human beings invariably violate that holiness because all of us are sinners. God is bound to respond to sin with punishment because to forgive would violate God's holiness. Compassion without satisfaction is not possible for God in this tradition. And, of course, since we've got him live on the line, we're going to go in and talk about that a lot more. And further on in the article, he talks about restorative justice. And, of course, at Eastern Mennonite University, there's a powerful program called the Zare Institute for Restorative Justice that was spearheaded by Dr. Howard Zare, who is considered and honored as one of the way showers 
and leaders of the movement here in the United States, at least of the modern movement. And um, so just a, a few more words about Ted before we bring him live on the line. He's a professor of theology and peace studies, and prior to teaching at EMU, beginning in 1996, he served 10 years as a pastor in Mennonite churches in Arizona, Oregon, and South Dakota. He is especially interested in the connection between Christian theology and pacifism. He teaches classes in theology, peace studies, ethics, and the Bible. And um, some of his books include um, the most latest book, actually, excuse me, uh, which was published just this last November 2014, called The Good War That Wasn't and Why It Matters, The Moral Legacy of World War II. He also blogs at thinkingpacifism.net and a website that gathers his writings at peacetheology.net. So without further ado... Ted, such a warm welcome to you. I'm really honored and and just excited to unpack this with you today. Welcome to Community Justice Talks. Thank you, Molly. It's great to be here. Why don't we start out with uh, that blog that was so inspiring to me and and, um, thousands of others I know uh, in just, just sharing with us a little bit more about what that blog meant to you um, and you know the t- just the title even uh, violence as a theological problem. Well, I think, I think uh, maybe the core of my concern or interest is the realization that in the United States uh, it seems like, according to surveys, that people who identify themselves as Christians are more likely than those who don't to support capital punishment, to support uh, punitive criminal justice practices to support wars, even. And that troubles me as a Christian, that that would be so. I understand Christianity to be very much a nonviolent, uh, anti-punishment uh, faith. And so I have decided to try to understand why that would be so, why Christians would tend to be more positive about uh, state violence, and came to the conviction, based on research, that one of the major reasons is core kind of theological understandings about uh, God and how God responds uh, to wrongdoing, and um, what uh, kind of what humans who want to follow God should do in response to wrongdoing. And so it seemed like um, there's a big tension or even conflict there between uh, kind of this one understanding of God that seems to underwrite uh, violence uh, based on theological grounds and another understanding of God, which would be my understanding, which is that God is basically a God of peace who calls upon uh, God's people to be uh, nonviolent and peace-loving. Now, I just want to tie in, um, thank you, Uh, I want to tie in last week's conversation that we had um, that was with Jean Bishop, and it was an extraordinary journey, and one that had me in tears quite a few times, as I'm sure probably had quite a few of our listeners. Um, Her sister 
and brother-in-law, as well as their unborn child, were were murdered by a young man um, over 20 years ago. And her story is a profound one, and in a nutshell, it, it is along these lines of bringing in that faith that uh, S.T. Coleridge might say, uh, man's faith must exceed his grasp or her grasp, and the mercy that that you're touching on, God's mercy, um, is her path, really, and, and she actually is very good friends with the very young man who killed her sister and, and brother-in-law. So I, I wonder if you could talk a bit about God's mercy and how, um, wh- how that should hopefully inform us and, and, and outweigh uh, this strange need to be so punishing when it, it, when it only makes more violence. Well, I think, I think that if we start with, I mean, in Christianity, start with uh, the life and teaching of Jesus and how did he respond to uh, wrongdoing to, to people who uh, hurt other people, to people who were considered kind of outside the expectations of the society. And one of the key things in the story is his remarkable willingness and commitment to forgive people. And, in fact, that's one of the things that got him in a lot of trouble because there was a kind of a whole system of how you dealt with sin in that context, which was to go through the temple, do sacrifices, kind of submit yourself to the religious structures. And Jesus just kind of bypassed that and presented a picture of of God as he understood God and as he embodied uh, the will of God that God was basically, fundamentally, a God of mercy, a God of, of, of healing. And I think if we, for me, seeing that, as kind of the starting point, then helps me look back at the story uh, in the Bible and to actually make it more apparent that Jesus was not doing something new or different, that he basically was uh, portraying or, you know, in his life and teaching was presenting God as God is presented in the Bible. Now, of course, there are lots of other pictures of God in the Bible, too, and that's one of the, the, the challenges or complicating things is that God in uh, you know, the Christian Old Testament uh, is a God of mercy, but also at times presented as a God of wrath, uh, a God of judgment. Uh, I, I think it's a, a big mistake that a lot of people make to assume that this God of wrath and God of judgment is the God of the Old Testament. And... I think when you look at the basic story of the Old Testament, the kind of the, the main plot, uh, actually over and over again, it shows God initiating healing, merciful action uh, in the story of the Exodus, in the, the giving of uh, Torah, and the uh, bringing people out of exile later on. Uh, in all of these cases, 
there was nothing that the people had to do to pay God back. Uh, God just simply chose to uh, give them life, to give them forgiveness. And then they were challenged to live faithfully in response to that. And I think that's basically then what, what Jesus is doing, is just giving that same kind of message. Uh, and I think what happens with Christianity, in, in you know, the, the Christianity that is is more retributive, is that uh, we just don't really take Jesus' own approach that seriously. And in terms of why that is, that's a very complicated question, I think. Mm-hmm. And an, an important one that you seem to be trying to tackle, too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why is it so difficult for for us to to see uh, see this and and thus li- live our way out of the hypocrisy yeah. and into um, truly living the principles that are illuminated as you have just mentioned? Well, maybe it's a that's a really big question. <laughs> it and is, it's a, <laughs> and it's a really important question, uh, and it's a hard question to answer quickly and easily, I think we have to think about just our, our broader cultural dynamics. Uh, in, in, this, in this particular culture, in the United States, uh, we have a long history of, of uh, what you could call kind of redemptive violence, that uh, we get our security, we uh, get our freedom because of, of, of using violence. Uh, it, it is kind of the myth, I would say, but that is deeply ingrained in the kind of the consciousness of the society. That's such a good point. If you'll excuse me, I just sure. I just want to underline that 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 we seem to be making false connections um, right. with uh, justifications, as you as you talk about right. in that blog post that I mentioned a right. moment ago. And I think, in terms of the the history of Christianity, it's, it's very interesting that the basic kind of theological move that gets made happens kind of late, really, in the, in the history. It, it's, it's not in, among the original Christians or the first Christians, certainly, I believe, not in the New Testament, but where what happens is that you, you kind of have this understanding of God, which I would see as most, uh, the strongest message in the Bible of God as fundamentally merciful and that justice is kind of subordinate to mercy, that justice is uh, the work to heal or bring about restoration when there's brokenness. You know? so, so when you have brokenness, uh, then how, how, what has to happen? Well, what has to happen is some kind of healing, some kind of restoration that allows the people, you know, the people who have been hurt and the perpetrators to uh, kind of come together well, justice, all of that is for the sake of the wholeness of the community. Well, what happens later, and probably partly its influence of you know, Roman, Greek thought and culture, is justice comes to kind of be separate from mercy. And justice is kind of an independent uh, reality. So you have justice and mercy in tension, uh, even in conflict at times. And with that then comes an understanding that in order for God to be merciful, and God is a God of uh, holiness. God is, a, you know, a God who's kind of uh, connected with the moral nature of the universe. And, and this understanding, the moral nature of the universe, requires 
retribution or payback or uh, uh, satisfaction of God's justice if there is some violation. And so in that, then, in order for God, ultimately things kind of get turned on their head. And in order for God to be merciful, God has to be satisfied through some kind of payment. And that's then in, in the theology, which really didn't emerge until the Middle Ages, um, uh, the, 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 the doctrine was called the doctrine of atonement, or the meaning of Jesus' death as a sacrifice to God to satisfy God's justice. Uh, with that theology, it kind of accepts then that the, the fundamental kind of nature of the moral universe is one which requires payback, which requires retribution, uh, and so then mercy really gets kind of marginalized or moved to the side. And it's and, and, and you know the irony is that it, it seems obvious once you start thinking about it that that's not what Jesus did or taught at all. Uh, and right. so it was it's just this. But 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 I think at the same time, this theology of satisfaction or of the need for retribution uh, kind of fits uh, in a lot of cultural dynamics of uh, uh, yeah we you know you have to get revenge and. As if it is unsafe to take another route. Um, right. As if right. it's unsafe and and un, even unheard of to allow voice for um, for the of- offender and for for there to be even possible dialogue where it's wanted um, in whatever form that may come, whether it's through written letters or right. through a mediator, however that might work. And well, of course, I, I think part of that is because there's a sense of, of uh, security or, or uh, stability or something that comes with that kind of uh, retributive way of thinking. And to say, no, we're, gonna, we're going to humanize uh, the offender, we're going to uh, not just think of punishment, kind of mm-hmm. throws everything open, you know. As if we're condoning the actions well, right. by, and, by, and, by and, default, right? Right, exactly. And, and part of that, just on, on a more kind of philosophical or theological level, is then that threatens our way of understanding the moral universe. You know? And so, so, so you, you'll get theologians who, I mean, these are like academic theologians who write about this, and they'll say, for God simply to forgive, or just for God simply to offer mercy, would undermine the moral fabric of the universe. Uh, so, so there's a lot at stake. Wow. I want to pause here just for sure. a moment. Um, you are listening to Community Justice Talks, and today we're having a live conversation with Professor Ted Grimsrud. He is a professor of theology and peace studies at Eastern Mennonite University, and he's widely published both on um, reputable online blogs as well as a published author in print. And we are talking today about a compelling theme of violence as a theological problem, and we're going to also go into some other um, sub-themes on that as well. I hope you're enjoying this conversation, and you can check out khen.org for this podcast if you want to pass that along. It'll be ready within 24 to 48 after this live show. Uh, you can also check out restorativejusticeontherise.org. And I want to just uh, mention again, for more information about Ted and his work, go to thinkingpacifism.net. 
He also has a website that gathers his writings at peacetheology.net. His most recent book is called The Good War That Wasn't and Why It Matters, The Moral Legacy of World War II. That's from Cascade Books, November of 2014. So, Ted, I'd like to, on the theme of what we've been discussing, go into your view as um, and your take on um, world theology and the common themes that you might be noticing around this subject. Uh, what are you seeing in pacifism, in um, in this understanding that perhaps we've been wrong about punishment? Well, I think there is definitely uh, movement, uh, more openness. Uh, certainly, people are, I think, increasingly aware, including theologians, of the problem, the problems with our criminal justice system the problems of war and conflicts among nations and the inability to kind of break the cycle of violence. Uh, and I think there is more openness to thinking about kind of what's underneath all of this, um, why why are we stuck in these patterns, uh, and that sort of thing. But in my general arena of Christian theology, I wish there was a lot more, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I think I think I think, I, but I do think that one of the th- things that is happening that I'm not personally uh, have not personally participated in very much, but it's something I'm, I'm very interested in is kind of interfaith conversations uh, where uh, Christians and Muslims and Jews and Buddhists and, and humanists are, are talking together. Uh, and it's hard, though, when, when you're talking about theology uh, to transcend, you know, like how, how do you uh, think theologically within a particular tradition and honor that tradition and at the same time really respect and honor other traditions? Uh, and and there, there's a certain sense, I think, in which uh, I believe that Doing that on a theological level among people who think about that kind of stuff is, could be a model for uh, a much broader social transformation. Mm. Let, let's talk for a moment. Uh, we've been one of your books. I'd like to get to both of them, actually, uh, okay. at least the most recent ones. Um, first of all, instead of atonement, the Bible's salvation story and our hope for wholeness, that was published by Cascade Books as well in 2013. Can you share with us a bit about the book? Yeah, that that book is actually an in-depth uh, discussion of what we've been talking about with this, uh, with the violence of the theological problem. What I do there is I, I start with this problem of retributive justice and use our, our American criminal justice system as a kind of example of just this spiral of violence and uh, you know like for example just that we have gone in the last 40 years from an imprisonment rate of around 100 people per 100,000 to 700 so we've kind of increased the rate of imprisonment by seven times uh, and just the the you know, you know the, the things that 
you talk about a lot, just the, 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 the damage to people and to the society. And with that as kind of the problem, then this, this basic question of why is it that Christians are part of the problem instead of being part of the solution in general? And my argument is that it's because of how we think about God and how we think about um, how God deals with sin or basically the issue of, of how salvate, what salvation is about. And what I do in the book is, is basically develop the idea that when you read the Bible in terms of the basic story that the Bible tells, kind of the, the main plot with all its diversity, kind of the main plot that holds it together, is a story of God bringing salvation through God's initiative of mercy, not through this dynamic of retribution and satisfaction. And so then I, I, I say, well, so this is this then provides kind of a theological uh, warrant to rethink the whole approach to wrongdoing. So let's talk about restorative practices, restorative yeah. justice. Yeah. And, of course, you herald from just a, a fabulous university, Eastern Mennonite University, um, very strong peace and conflict studies department and peace building institute right. that is hosted there every summer with people coming from all over the world to take part in that and training opportunities with with folks doing extraordinary work to unpack right. um, violence punishment and um, so just thank you for your contributions as a part of that university and um of course, then, as mentioned before, there's the Zare Institute for Restorative Justice, um, co-founded, I believe, with uh, Dr. Howard Zare, who's considered the grandfather of the modern restorative justice movement here in the United States. Yeah, um, we, we call him Grandpa. Grandpa, right. And, he, and uh, having met with him quite a few times in person, um, just an extraordinary human being mm-hmm. and someone who seems to really practice the walk of restorative justice as much as he talks about it. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, so let's, let's, let's hear your thoughts on restorative justice. And, um, you know, feel free to share anything that you're seeing happen on campus and um, all the great things that EMU is well, doing. It's an interesting question. Certainly the, the Center for Justice and Peacebuilding, um, the graduate program where Howard has taught and, that has where the Zare Center is housed and has a uh, not only a strong uh, work in the area of restorative justice, but also many other realms of peace building, conflict resolution. It has had a you know really an incredible impact around the world. Um, but one of, one of the maybe a little bit ironically, but it's still encouraging. Uh, but one of the challenging areas is to implement that kind of philosophy, especially in relation to restorative justice, in terms of of on-campus and uh, student discipline issues, and how do we work at, uh, you know, protecting the, you know, kind of the identity, the the, uh, mission of the school, while at the same time uh, really respecting the people who, in some sense, uh, uh, violate some boundaries and that sort of thing, and 
and it's it's been hard to do. It's it's uh, it's, it's it's in some ways more difficult, perhaps working at that close at home. Uh, but it, it's certainly a lot of energy, a lot of creativity is going into trying to find ways to be redemptive consistently in our internal life as well as our external uh, work. And I, I know from the great honor that I have of speaking with people like yourself um, in the field of restorative justice that uh, as with the conversation we've been having around punishment and our uh, seeming addiction to it um, and the safety zone that it perhaps falsely provides us, um, there's too the... Um, the assumption that restorative justice is a means to an end surrounding yeah. forgiveness. Can, right. can you share with us your, your take on that? Um, yeah, well, I, I think, I think it's, it's, it's complicated, you know, because there are circumstances where people are really hurt, really you know, egregiously hurt by some action. And I think, as I understand restorative justice, and a lot of that is through uh, Howard Zare's work and, and talking with Howard, the real concern, I mean, one of the main concerns is with uh, the well-being of the victim and, and helping a person find whole, whole, wholeness. And the kind of assumption, ultimately, is that that does involve forgiveness and, and reconciliation. But, but But the danger has been that uh, sometimes that part of it is rushed, you know. So, so somebody is really hurt, and they, they they are working to kind of reconstruct their life, and then they're told, "Well, you need to forgive." And I, as I understand, the thinking about that is that well, that needs to we need to be very cautious, very mm-hmm. slow. But I think that the the ultimate ideal, you know, the ultimate uh, kind of vision. The wholeness really has to do with uh, uh, the possibility of forgiveness, the possibility of reconciliation. That that is a goal. That is something to keep in mind, as opposed to kind of the retribution in that cycle mm-hmm. of uh, of bitterness. And um, because a lot of people will talk about how you know something they are really hurt themselves or their loved one, and the uh, the punishment of the perpetrator didn't really help, you know. And, the, mm-hmm. and, and this kind of living with this anger and mm-hmm. hatred doesn't help. It, 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 it's and so somehow there needs to be a way to to work through that and to move ahead. And I think the uh, kind of this vision of wholeness, and, including forgiveness, on some level, anyhow, seems really essential to to moving in that way. Mm-hmm. And I, I love how for for those who are victims um, of any form of crime and conflict, and we all have been one at some sure. point or another, um, it's an opportunity to be empowered right. in the right. sense that you can have that choice to right. perhaps communicate by letter or right. with an intermediary um, between you and uh, what we call the offender. Right. Um, 
And so there's multiple ways that Howard and so many others in our world, Dr. Zare, are showing that um, a victim need not be afraid. Um, In fact, that their needs, um, although we can't say what those are, are honored and very important um, for the inquiry to begin. Right, and and certainly at the heart of that is a sense of uh, kind of restored power as a human being. Right, and an ability even to move on, perhaps. that's right. Well, I I know that um, we have maybe about four minutes left here, okay. and I really would love to hear more from you about this other book. It's it's profound. Um, tell us about it. It's called uh, for our listeners the the good war that wasn't and why it matters, and subtitled World War II's moral legacy. So give us an outline. Okay. Well, the basic question in the book, or the basic agenda, really in the book, is to kind of challenge the present life, really, you could say, of World War II as this kind of decisive example of how a war was necessary, a war was good, and that we always have the the possibility that, that could happen again, and, and so we need to prepare for the next war. And And basically what I wanted to do was to just scrutinize World War II, and to see uh, you know, how does it really stack up, because we have all these assumptions about, I mean, I certainly grew up with that. Both my parents were veterans of that war. Uh, that this, this was good. This was, at least it was necessary. Uh, but we don't really need to defend that. And what I did is, uh, even though I'm a pacifist personally, and it's even possible that only a pacifist maybe would really want to write this book. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> But I really tried to take it just in terms of what were the statements that were made to justify going to war and to support the war? What were, what, what were the purpose statements and why are we doing this? And then to take those seriously and then evaluate how were those uh, achieved or not. And, and, and the core of it was uh, uh, the, there was a speech given by President Roosevelt just prior to the U.S. going to war, and then there was a... Uh, an agreement that Roosevelt and, and Prime Minister Churchill from Great Britain uh, put together called the Atlantic Charter that kind of outlined the, the purposes. And basically it's self-determination uh, for people all around the world, disar- disarmament, uh, you know, all these really positive uh, kind of things. And then the war itself didn't really seem to achieve that. Uh, and I use a lot of uh, kind of just war... Uh, the just war tradition in terms of just tactics and just causes, uh, and then basically argue that if you look at World War II and, and you look at the cost in terms of the incredible number of people that were killed and also the, the transformation in the United States from before World War II began, we were basically the 17th or 18th largest military in the world. And because of World War II, we created Pentagon, we created the CIA, we created the nuclear weapons uh, regime, and basically created these institutions that have kept us on kind of a permanent war footing ever since. And then we participated in the last 70 years in many conflicts that uh, in in no way measure up to kind of the just war mm-hmm. expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so, so in the book, I talk about the war, and then I talk about the aftermath in terms of how the war 
change the United States. And then, not wanting to just leave it kind of at that with the, the, the critique or the negative, I then talk about the, the resistance to the, the, the small amount of resistance, but how that uh, grew into other movements, the, the civil rights movement, the anti-Vietnam War movement, the anti-Vietnam mm-hmm. movement. Mm. Sounds like such a profound book. Again, that's uh, The Good War That Wasn't and Why It Matters, The Moral Legacy of World War II. Uh, Ted, in in closing, I have a kicker for you, Um, and you can choose to take it anywhere you wish. Um, (laughs) If Jesus were here today with us, uh, what what do you think he would want us to to discover from this conversation and live forward? Oh, I think that one seems fairly easy. I think (laughs) the uh, reality that forgiveness is uh, and mercy are the kind of fundamental. That's the that's the moral character. That's the moral nature of the universe is toward mercy, toward forgiveness, and uh, the God or, or however you want to talk about ultimate reality does not require satisfaction through punishment or retribution. Mm. Very well well stated. Thank you so much for being with us. We've been talking with Professor Ted Grimsrud from Eastern Mennonite University. And we hope you'll check out this podcast um, once it's up and ready at khen.org. Thank you again, Ted, for joining us today on Community Justice Talks.